It's Vallejo Gatner as the Executive Artistic Director at the Onassis Cultural Center in New York City. The center is dedicated to culture, community, and education and seeks to engage its visitors through notable theater festivals and projects on the themes of democracy and philosophical inquiry. Gatner himself was educated at Wesley College and Monash University, both located in Melbourne, Australia, where he studied cultural studies and law. He has worked as a collaborating creative consultant across the world at multiple theaters and cultural institutions. Currently, the Onassis Cultural Center collaborates with museums, curators, and scholars from around the world to better showcase critically acclaimed artworks and exhibits, while also focusing on its prestigious educational outreach missions through the Onassis Humanities Impact Program. With a new emphasis on the present, the Onassis Cultural Center in New York presents the work of established, emerging, and newly discovered artists from Greece and around the world. In this episode, Vallejo Gatner sits down with Maya to talk about the center and his recent projects on democracy from its past originator to its present-day implications in the United States and abroad. Uh, Vallejo Gatner, welcome to The Creative Process. Thank you. So uh, we're in uh, your offices here in uh, the Onassis uh, Foundation Cultural Center. In Look, it's... Uh, now we're really kind of a NASA USA. USA, uh, yeah. So uh, we have a, a space downstairs where there's a wonderful creative time mm -hmm. exhibition or performative uh, installation. Yeah, that's just opened. Uh, that's just opened, uh, and that runs until the end of August. Um, so that w is or was the sort of a NASA's cultural center. It's been out of commission for a mm -hmm. year or so. Right. So. We are there, but it's not really active yes. in that sense. Uh, and we are the Onassis Foundation. However, when you use the foundation word yes. in the US context, uh, it means something quite different from the way we perceive our role uh, as being really initiators and creators of programming uh, mm. and content generators right. rather than not in the sense of being artists, but in terms of, you know, we're not a funder. We don't have a grants application process. Yes. We don't um, We don't give money in that way. Right. Uh, we, I guess, is best known for having married Jackie Kennedy, mm. who became Jackie O. Right. Uh, and it's the foundation has nothing to do with her or her family, but it mm. was initially set up and named for that son, Alexander. So it's the Alexander S. Onassis Public Benefit Foundation. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really, uh, and it was set up with half of his, uh, of, of Aristotle's estate that would have otherwise passed to his son. Uh, he also had a daughter, Christina, who also sadly uh, passed away in the 90s. But, um, so there are no family members directly involved in the foundation, which is largely based in Athens, uh, in is still indeed uh, and the is the owner of a very active business of shipping and mm -hmm. uh, investment and real estate mm -hmm. uh, and and that then provides the revenue that funds a public benefit foundation that has three pillars uh, culture education and health uh, in the US we're really focused on uh, culture and education uh, in Athens the health piece 
uh, is mainly uh, or is best known, uh, most visibly manifest perhaps uh, with a heart transplant or a heart, a, a cardiac hospital in mm. Athens that is the only real cardiac specialty hospital in, in Greece mm. and uh, was a pioneer in cardiac treatment in Greece where historically I think the opportunities to get specialised healthcare had been, uh, specialised heart healthcare had been very limited. Uh, people travelled to London uh, or other parts of Europe to, to deal with problems that they had and now it really led the charge in developing that uh, done a lot of transplants and so on and we are about to uh, break ground on a, on a, a, a specialty transplant hospital mm -hmm. for other organs uh, mm -hmm. in the same location in Athens. So that's the focus of the health component. Education uh, is spread across a range of things from scholarly exchange to uh, a couple of archives and libraries that we have in Athens. and. Um, a whole range of programs uh, around creating access to those. And in the US, uh, a collaborative and grant making. Uh, so I, of course, as soon as I said when we don't make grants, uh, there are circumstances yeah. in the education space where we do. Um, and, and, and we are also working in culture, uh, in, in both in Athens where uh, we have a very large performing arts centre and visual arts centre called Stegi. Yes. Um, and, and a whole range of other cultural programs, uh, producing work, uh, touring work, supporting exhibitions and so on. Uh, and in the US, um, it's been, a, had different focuses over the last decade and the, I guess I was hired to try and build the new direction of that program here in the United States. And you came on, on uh, with a, 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 an ex exciting and, and timely project, Democracy is Coming. Uh, and also tell us a bit about your background. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, look, I came in uh, and two weeks after I began, so mm -hmm. it would be wonderful to have the credit for it, mm -hmm. but it had nothing to do with me oh. at all. Um, but I was fortunate to be in the leadership position when it happened. We had a festival called Democracy is Coming that was really about... Uh, Democracy is a fundamentally kind of Greek derived idea uh, and one that was incredibly and intricately codependent and, and, and democracy was something that happened in relationship and uh, around the cult cultural context of Greece. So the, the theatre was a critical part of a functioning democracy, mm -hmm. just as a democracy was a prerequisite for an extraordinary theatre. Uh, mm -hmm. And... Uh, um, or the desire for democracy anyway. Uh, the, the, so we brought over work from Greece. Um, uh, there, were, there was music, there were talks, there were installations and there were several theatre pieces including a production of, called Socrates that was happening at the public theatre, shows at La Mama uh, and other shows actually inside the public as well. So it was really built in collaboration with the public theatre and it was a really amazing thing to have mm -hmm. put on my lap as I walked in. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in some ways articulated exactly the kind of thing that I think we should be doing, which mm -hmm. is really trying to find ways of stitching these Hellenic ideas, mm -hmm. Hellenic ideals, not necessarily kind of nationalistically mm -hmm. uh, Greek 
things, yeah. but the ideas. Going back and digging down into the ideas and figuring out how we connect those with contemporary culture and contemporary artists and contemporary audiences. And starting to ask ourselves questions about how we not just communicate those, but what our impact is and what mm -hmm. the impact of, of the expression of those ideas could be. Um, so, you know, democ the Democracy Festival is a really great mm -hmm. shot across the bow, if you will, mm -hmm. of thinking about how we might approach that. And that format of uh, a multidisciplinary kind of event that mm -hmm. is really ideas driven is yes. something that I think we will, you, you know, watch this space. There'll be a mm -hmm. lot more of that happening. Right. Uh, and I'm very excited about the possibilities for that. And you like to, you like to reach out to schools. You have you, you reach out with um, museums as well. We should say some of your other partners, yes. Uh, well, we worked with museums yes. and, and, and so on in the past, yes. Mm -hmm. No, I'm just thinking now of your, because uh, you're like, I'm not sure if this occurs, it's your artistic advisor to the Brooklyn Academy, uh, ah, or Brooklyn so Art Museum, sure. yeah. No, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, which yeah, is not a school. Yeah. Yes, no, I just was interested in some... Sure, in terms of my background, uh, I guess I, uh, you know, am originally from Melbourne in mm -hmm. Australia, um, came from a very kind of artistic family, but, uh, you know, studied law. I didn't mm -hmm. study uh, any artistic endeavour at all. Mm -hmm. um, and then began... Uh, being engaged in curating and programming and trying to think about ways of uh, bringing uh, live performance and, and putting it in front of people in unexpected and interesting and hopefully very impactful ways. Uh, working for the Melbourne Festival with Jonathan Mills uh, in 2000 and 2001. Uh, then uh, in 2002, I took over the Dublin Fringe Festival in Ireland and was there for three years. Um, uh, and really focused on kind of trying to internationalise the way that that sort of context worked in mm -hmm. Ireland and to really make it a much more multidisciplinary and kind of an, an, an event that supported much more innovative work. I um, saw that. I lived in Dublin, so I was oh, there really? in that period, yes. Really? So you did a... I think it's, you know, I think it blossomed. And I left a little bit after that, but yes. Oh, that's, so, that's yeah. amazing. I'm, I'm, yeah. That's very kind of you to say. Um, and uh, uh, I'm delighted to hear you say that. Sorry. Um, then in 2005, I uh, moved here and took over a kind of storied downtown performing arts institution that had you know, begun as a squat in the mm -hmm. East Village and was really held together by, uh, as we say, duct tape and string, you know, uh, very edgy full of attitude and and uh, and kind of wonderful ambition and so I took that over in 2005 and ran it until 2017 as the artistic uh, director and in that period moved out of the building to make way for a you should kind say of that's performance space. performance yeah. space 122 yeah. sorry yes so PS in New York often refers to a public school mm -hmm. um, and it was in a, an old public school building uh, so that had been closed by the city in the 70s mm -hmm. and it was then occupied by artists uh, who used it as visual art studios and initially as kind of rehearsal space mm -hmm. um, and then kind of performance spaces for different artists and performance artists and it's one of the places where 
you know, so much of the groundbreaking downtown performance art, contemporary dance, theatre uh, began. And yeah. if you talk to artists in New York, you know, almost all of them at some point, particularly early in their careers, have really made something. And it's been a very, it's a very special place in the kind of creative ecosystem of New York City uh, as, as a place where things happen. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Sorry, no. no, no. And then and then left there in 2017 and and uh, sort of freelance for a while, working on a number of projects, uh, helping, uh, supporting uh, a range of institutions and uh, indigenous leaders in the U.S. and and elsewhere, toward trying to build a kind of transnational uh, indigenous performing arts network. So. Particularly in the US, we've seen a, a, a catastrophic and really horrific impoverishment of indigenous arts uh, and indigenous contemporary arts in particular. Um, and compared to the situation, let's say, in New Zealand or Australia or Canada, mm. where the, the kind of dynamism and the vibrancy of indigenous artistic practice yeah. has been recognised, supported, in the Australian case, the visual art scene in particular has become mm. commercially incredibly successful. Mm -hmm. um, and in the US, it's something that's been relegated and forgotten uh, alongside much many aspects of indigenous culture. In fact, I mean, uh, you know, many people in the US can go through the, the, their entire life without any contact at all, yeah. uh, at least knowing contact with indigenous culture. and and. I think that's really problematic. I think it's really problematic that we don't acknowledge the kind of impact of colonialization, uh, colonialism in the US. Uh, so we were trying to build a, a kind of multinational consortium of pre presenters and festivals and theaters mm -hmm. who were gonna really work with their communities and work with indigenous artists yeah. uh, and indeed be led by indigenous artists and indigenous leaders to kind of build up not just the capacities in each community, but also start to create opportunities for international collaboration for those yeah. artists. Uh, and that was, you know, a, a big part of that is the desire and the need that we sense to develop that field and that sector in the US, where it is, yeah, as I said, it's been very, really impoverished. Mm -hmm. So I was working on that. I was working uh, at the Brooklyn Academy of Music at mm -hmm. BAM as an artistic advisor to the new artistic director there, mm -hmm. David Binder. And I'm currently working with a festival in Dusseldorf that happens mm -hmm. in uh, next May yeah. uh, called Theatre Developed. So kind of on a, in a range of different areas. Uh, and I've then you know, been an entrepreneur in various other capacities as well, in bars and breweries and mm -hmm. software companies and, and other things. Uh, well, it's it is a very um, you know creative or imaginative uh, life that you have for yourself, and I I really am interested in also talking more about the um, the indigenous art or I guess Native America. Tomorrow I have an interview with the Smithsonian that uh, the the museum for the Native American, but um, and I think that's so sad. I don't I don't understand it either. Why why do you feel it's what is it a shame or why is it not something that we. S I don't know. In, in the US? Yes. Look, I think there's one reason in particular that's idiosyncratic to the, to, to the United States or specific to the United States, which is that we are still 
grappling with and have failed to really grapple with and deal with the consequences and the impact of slavery. And, mm. you know, frankly, white people aren't very good at dealing with more than one thing that they feel bad about at any given point. And it's on right. us, it's our failure mm -hmm. that we do not and seem unable to be able to deal with uh, the legacy of uh, colonisation and the legacy of slavery at the same right. time. Uh, and the tragedy of that is that neither of them are ever going to be something where you can kind of tie a bow around it and say, all right, well, now that's all better. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess Canada and the US and Australia, we all have other traumas as well, but none have been so much at the forefront Mm -hmm. uh, as the legacy of slavery has in the US. And mm -hmm. I think that that has, uh, let's say, overwhelmed or drowned out the kind of any conversation about how we grapple with the consequences of coloni colonialism. Mm -hmm. um, I think there is certainly room to deal with both and, and, and it shouldn't be that way. But that I, I think pragmatically and frankly, that is the reality. Yes. Yeah. It's it, it was sad. I I visited some reservations and did uh, uh, interviews with uh, like artists and educators, and it was just a very simple thing that was said to me. And I don't mean to be going off from no, the no, Nazi Foundation, I, because I think that this is good in your background because it, these are, I guess, other kind of partnerships mm. or where mm. you you're honoring the local culture mm. alongside Greek and yeah, princes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's just a very simple thing that one Native American artist said. Uh, he says, you know, it was so simple. You know, we are still here. We have not gone away. Yeah. But it's like they feel. No, the invisibility of, uh, that's what I meant by yeah. saying that the, the invisibility of indigenous culture in the US is mm -hmm. really, um, uh, it's intense. Uh, and when you think about how present it is in other environments, yes. particularly, even though there's terrible poverty and, you know, problems in all of these other places, in yeah. Australia, in Canada, it's not like the, the it's not like everything's yeah. hunky-dory there, sure. but uh, but relatively uh, the kind of the, the level of dialogue and the level of engagement with and foregrounding of and, and pride in mm -hmm. the indigenous culture that uh, it still exists and still exists here in the US, yes. but it's not seen, it's not supported. Um, where it is seen and supported, it's it's relegated and and you know. Um, and also kind of pigeonholed into being craft or yes. traditional arts or folk art or kind of ceremonial art. It's mm -hmm. not understood as a contemporary, evolving, dynamic cultural life. And yes. that's a critical thing, which is to understand that, you know, these cultural forms are not frozen. Mm -hmm. They're not the same that they were 50 years ago, 10 years ago. They evolve and they develop just as Western art forms do. Mm -hmm. And so, and, but we tend to think of them as things that have frozen in time. Right. I'm Chase Van Langen, a senior student at the University of Iowa in Iowa City, Iowa, studying history, political science, and international relations. I am an associate interview and podcast producer for the creative process. Uh, most notably to me from Vallejo Gatner is his emphasis on the expansion of context and his desire to increase international perspectives with the creative projects that he himself undertakes. Uh, this is especially apparent when he speaks on moving to New York and his ability to filter his creative works through the environment he is in. He even describes the area he's working in and around as very edgy and urban 
and even held together with something like glue and, and string. Uh, this, this constant theme of combining the old with the new is something that I can relate through through my own studies in history, politics, and international relations. Uh, where new experiences always relate to what has happened in the past. Now the, the importance in a way to teach and even learn about impactful moments on the world stage through a modern day lens is something educators, students, and even performers always have to adapt to in an effort for those messages that are so important throughout history and politics to remain fresh and relevant in the present day. Uh, Gardner's comments on America's troubled history with colonialism and the institution of slavery even and how that still affects mainly indigenous artists and creators across the continent today uh, is very prevalent. Uh, this past history and its implications are still very fresh in the minds of many in the present that were disenfranchised through these past actions. Uh, regardless, Gardner seems to approach his own work through this mixed perspective of the old and the new, where he attempts to present or embody older ideas with a new intuitive spin or twist. Now this form of art and even educating is always refreshing to me if something I'm being taught really has the potential to be impactful and long-lasting for me into the future. Later in the interview, Mia and Vallejo will talk about his own work related to Hellenic culture and ideals and how his motivations and goals are expressed through his own artwork and ambitions. Uh, I hope his work inspires you to learn something old in a new way. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Vallejo Gantner, Artistic and Executive Director of Onassis USA. And so that, I guess, would, would, would bring us back to, to Greek culture and what you notice is a lot of theater, which, of course, draws back Phaedra and, and mm -hmm. you know, Antigone. And, uh, they seem, but there's a lot, lot of process of reinvention, and you maybe could speak about some of the projects that are here. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so, look, historically, this foundation was focused in the U.S. Mm -hmm. on... And for 17 or 18 years, the Cultural Center, which is in, you know, a couple of floors below us yeah. here in this building, was really focused on doing very innovative but nonetheless uh, an, uh, antique, antiquity-focused exhibitions yeah. of archaeology mm -hmm. uh, or other ancient kind of objects that mm -hmm. were thematically curated. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and I think... Three or four years ago, the mm -hmm. festival really began a strategic rethink of what it wanted to be mm -hmm. and really decided that they wanted to become a player in a kind of much more contemporary, uh, a, a dialogue in, within a contemporary cultural context, mm -hmm. not just focused on, on scholarly exchange and antiquities. And, you know, whether it was commissioning and producing a production of The Birds and then uh, we're uh, touring it here last fall. Uh, we're now working on touring elsewhere. Um, things like the Democracy Festival, um, uh, the, the support of the Humanities Program oh, yes, at BAM sure. yeah. uh, in other years. Um, working with other innovative ideas like the Night of Philosophy that happens every year in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. um, 
and so on and so on. There's a, there's a whole range of areas where we've sort of gone, hang on a second, we're not just showing things here. We're trying to figure out how to bring these ideas forward through a prism or in relationship to contemporary culture in a way that will make them make these ideas more impactful. And if mm -hmm. we love the ideas, uh, how to figure out how to kind of build on that impact to sort of release mm -hmm. kind of the potential of them. And um, the fortunate thing about that, of course, is mm -hmm. that so much of what we think of, uh, at least as Western civilization, mm -hmm. and it's, you know, important not to kind of uh, be too universalist about everything yes um, but at least in terms of how we think about that so much of it comes from the ancient Greeks yes. uh, that we can make it, uh, the, the, it we're able to paint with a fairly broad brush mm -hmm. it's not as narrow as it might be without uh, if, if we're a kind of national funding organisation or regional funding organisation that was only interested in work from X country. Yeah. This is a country that happens to have supplied many of the foundational texts of kind of our culture. So mm -hmm. we're lucky. Yeah. yeah, it's nice for you. It gives you opportunities to be creative. I'm, I'm interested in going back into your own background about uh, law and how the skills that you learned there, how, how they serve you in your role as like artistic director or creator. Um, curator. Curator. Um, certainly, it makes uh, it, it, one of the wonderful things about studying law. Um, it, it, it enables your kind of it, it facilitates a conceptual part of your brain that's fantastic mm -hmm. in terms of really uh, applying conceptual ideas into practical situations mm -hmm. and and thinking about it, about the, the application. It means that it's that you know uh, your facility and comfort with language is really great mm -hmm. um, it, you know you can't really intimidate me with kind of a silly contract full of legalese because mm -hmm. you're able to cut through the bullshit of that fairly quickly yeah um, and uh, you know again it kind of so much of so many uh, We've kept, we're coming through a period where every art form and every idea was very siloed and we saw value in specialisation. Yes. And I'm a great proponent and believer in generalisation yes. <laughs> and in uh, being a kind of generalist. And, and the idea is that actually, you know, concepts uh, that are, and, and don't ask me which because I'm going to flub it, but, you know, concepts that have been evolved and developed in common law practice, for instance, um, that we also see being kind of really influential culturally, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and the way that we have, um, uh, you know, even going to then ideas, you know, Foucault's deconstruction of the architecture of courtrooms and thinking about how that power and dynamics and implication kind of starts to become reflected in theatrical design, yes. you know? Mm -hmm. So figuring out, I mean, that's that's not a law degree, but it's just really what I love about law is it gives you such a wonderful grounding in a kind of humanities and thought process mm -hmm. that absolutely facilitates the work that I do mm -hmm. in, in curating and being creatively engaged in the work that we are. 
Right, and I'd like to, you to talk about a little more to go in more into the humanities impact program, and then you mentioned um, the visiting scholars. I'm not sure if that's the name of the program. Like some of the things that you have visited. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so the humanities impact program uh, is something that Young Kim, who's our director of education here in New York, really built, uh, mm. and it is, I think, a, a very impactful kind of um, thoughtful program. Uh, of support and collaboration with a range of organisations that again is about trying to build some of these classical ideas into the kind of contemporary practice where um, historically they've been ignored and you know in the US the value has always been ascribed on the very direct, the immediate, the practical. Yeah, and we don't than, study history enough. And we don't, we don't study history enough and we don't study, we don't think about abstraction. Mm -hmm. We don't think about the kind of philosophical questions that uh, can actually then be applied into very direct and concrete kind of moments of our existence. All right. Yeah. Does that so make sense? Yes, it does make sense. And if you'd like to s mention I'm some of those abstract yeah, concepts, yeah. we could just call this out for for any you know um, students across disciplines if they want to respond. Sure. I mean, absolutely. Oh well. Yeah. I mean, I think. Uh, there's not a specific set of concepts that that the HIP program really seeks to kind of address. It it, it you know it, it, it seeks to make Greek or Hellenic culture accessible mm -hmm. uh, uh, in a range of different contexts that are not determined by being an, an, at an elite university or mm -hmm. by being you know of. So we support the Bard Prisons program. So. Okay, yeah. Uh, which is an extraordinary uh, education program that happens within uh, prisons in New York and elsewhere uh, that allows um, uh, prisoners uh, to, to receive university education and degree mm -hmm. degrees um, that uh, in a range of different areas and yeah. we support the kind of inclusion and integration of classics and, mm -hmm. and, and classicism into that program. Okay. Um, uh, we try and contextualize the, the kind of successes and failures of the Greek, uh, uh, of Greek thought and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and in a historical context. Um, we try and make sure that it's both relevant and innovative mm -hmm. in that, um, uh, in, in the way that we talk about these sometimes quite ancient ideas. Uh, uh, in a contemporary educational context. So uh, Young, for instance, is currently working with the New York Historical Society to, uh, around programs around democracy and politics in ancient Athens and in relationship to the politics today. So understandings of demagoguery, mm -hmm. of political debate, of uh, the way uh, uh, we frame ourselves and others Mm -hmm. um, uh, and indeed, you know, the, the kind of different mechanisms for how one participates in a society as a citizen, citizenship, and what that means, uh, and, and participation in a democracy, and what that means, uh, and what it meant then, and what it meant now, and how the two are connected. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful uh, program, and I'd love to hear more about... Um, you know, the, the prison program too, because of course it should reach all sectors of society. Um, 
sure. humanities is not just it sometimes become viewed as something slightly elite uh, I don't know why I think well look I think I mean that's that is a problem of contemporary culture and it's not just in the US it's everywhere we focus uh, uh, we tend to focus I think to on stem to the exclusion of culture and arts mm-hmm. and uh, again and humanities mm-hmm. um, uh, because there's a kind of sense that STEM subjects uh, are, or business subjects mm-hmm. are very much more immediately practical, concrete. Yeah. Uh, their impact can be quantified very easily yeah. and I think that's a big thing as we move to models of governance and uh, 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 th- where we seek to be able to quantify uh, the impact of, of, of particular projects. It's it's much harder to do that in when you know our uh, the, the the kind of education system is, is focused on humanities, mm-hmm. on thought, on um, on how we think, on critical thinking. Yeah. It's not as accessible, uh, and the outcomes are not as directly quantifiable. Mm-hmm. And. But in the bigger picture, I think it's a long. In the long term, mm-hmm. it's a very direct loss, and it's quite interesting. You know, when we look at uh, economies and markets like Singapore or China, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or others of the of the kind of tiger economies, mm-hmm. a lot of the resources that they're focusing now are on trying to make their students more critical, better critical thinkers, mm-hmm. more creative thinkers, mm-hmm. not to kind of focus pour more resources into math education or science education or tech or applied science education. Um, And when they add support or resources into their kind of cultural creative endeavours, they're not taking it away from science or tech or math. They are adding. And it's not a a binary, you know, zero-sum kind of... uh, game it's actually they feed each other very well mm-hmm. um, and you know as we know um, one must approach the kind of presentation of uh, what often appears to be very concrete kind of um, answers uh, whether in science or maths or economics or elsewhere uh, we must approach it with critical thinking we must approach it creatively and the way we think about those things creatively. And what these programs are designed to do to some extent is to enable that mm-hmm. critical thought and that creative thinking and that ability to abstracize or to, to bring from the abstract to from the philosophical, from the, the, the classics into contemporary uh, manifestations. Well, it's, it's a, these are wonderful initiatives. I think about then, um, some of the recent you, you you touched on the the exhibition on now I believe the privilege of escape yeah yes so you talk about some of the yeah the the, the dramatic or the visual um, exploration of these sure. themes and ideas yes sure well, I mean they range so thinking about a company that was in the democracy festival called Six Hundred Highwaymen yes who had a show called The Fever. Mm. And in that show, they play with the whole concept of participation mm-hmm. and how one asks for and receives that participation if you're creating a theatre piece. Mm-hmm. So it was an exploration of what that meant for an audience, actually. And 
all of most of them every person in the audience was moving in the work was participating in the work Mm -hmm. and was indeed therefore creating the work for everybody else in the room Mm -hmm. so it was an exploration of that and for me that was a very clear articulation Mm -hmm. of that search for what does it mean to make a theatre more democratic while the audience was not generating or creating that work, they were in the sense of inventing it mm. with their bodies and with their voices. They were absolutely creating the piece. Does that make sense? Oh, yes, of course. And it's always more powerful when you involve people's imaginations, yes. Of and their, yeah, and their bodily and... Yeah. Of course. This, yeah. was, this, this, this involved them literally kind of asking you to, to do things mm-hmm. that serve the narrative. So would mm-hmm. you please raise your hand? Would mm-hmm. you... Would you, you know, ask me how I am? Mm. Oh, and yes. so it was very much a participatory piece in that way. So there's one articulation of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, uh, now I had I had another one right at hand, and it's just uh, gone from my mind for a moment. Oh, sorry. Yes, yeah. the um, uh, 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 the privilege of escape, um, which is a piece made by. Um, a young artist working with creative time um, who has made a... And, and, the, and the connectivity isn't directly there with sort of Greece, mm-hmm. but she's made one of these escape rooms that, mm-hmm. you know, those of us with kids are quite all too familiar with mm-hmm. or in corporate environments we're very familiar with where everybody's gone in and kind of had bonding experiences and you have to figure out a series of puzzles to get out of the room. Mm. So she's made one of these whose visual language Mm. and whose teams are differently abled. So really in a conversation and discussion of privilege and what it means for different people's mobility and Mm. how they get out. And so I think it's been a really interesting piece um, in terms of triggering that conversation. It doesn't mm-hmm. solve the problem. You know, we can't fix the kind of the challenges of inequity in the United States simply with an art piece, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it does is trigger you to think about it in a different way, in a creative way, in a fun way, mm-hmm. but one that is, inc- I, uh, I think, very moving and and enlightening Mm -hmm. so there's a strong focus then on i mean i don't know but i see a direction towards more performance and development when i visited um, in athens or you know the the musical festival elements like that um because we are so um we have a i don't know an explosion of digital culture but it's kind of we're separated by screens I mean what is your focus is that when you're interdisciplinarity I think is our focus Mm -hmm. which is funny because it suggests that we're completely unfocused (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the reality of our of of the world today and the reality of how we consume ideas and Mm -hmm. how we how we generate ideas is Mm -hmm. that we live in in a profoundly kind of interdisciplinary way yes and the culture and the arts activity that we produce and that we generate must reflect that. Yeah. So, sure, there's a move to performance. There's yeah. a move to immersion, yeah. of being in it. Yeah. There's a move to participation, 
because people want to be the authors of their own destiny. Mm-hmm. All of these things are true, but I don't think it simply means that, you know, there's dancers collaborating with playwrights. Mm-hmm. It means that the world of kind of larger ideas, whether those are economic, historical, philosophic, uh, scientific, are also collaborating and integrating into not simply the content of the work. So it's not just a play about physics. Mm -hmm. It's a play that manifests in its very form the physics or the the, the scientific ideas that it's discussing. Mm. And in doing so, it kind of embodies them in a much more profound and interesting way. I'm sorry, I haven't seen that, but I would I would like to see that. I mean, it's so it, it, it's abstract, but it's very it can be very visual if it's properly modeled. So, what is this play about physics? I may I just oh. I was speaking <laughs> <Right>. hypothetically. <laughs> okay. I mean, I can speak yes. about one, yes. but there's not. I mean, you know, so a, a show that I produced the first uh, season of called You Are Nowhere by Andrew Schneider. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was at PS One Twenty Two as part of the Coil Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, was in many ways a piece about relativity uh, mm-hmm. and about uh, that concept, uh, and uh, but was one which was uh, not simply uh, a performance about it, but mm-hmm. indeed forced the audience in a very human, glitch-filled, awkward way to actually live that whole concept. Mm-hmm. And to say more would kind of give away the concept of the show, but it was mm-hmm. full of kind of shifts and, and, and implausible, indeed, nigh on impossible kind of jumps in what we, in kind of space and time and the way we perceive those things. All right. I'm trying to imagine it, but I think it, I think it, it makes, uh, it, it's interesting, it's kind of compelling, because we are not logical people, Yes. We kind of like skip like that. It's sure. I understand yeah, it that yeah. way. We, we're yeah. full of glitches. Yeah. We're full of elisions and gaps mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and, and mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I find, I guess, what I was betraying there is my bias as well, that one of the things I find very boring is plays about things. Yes, I know. As much as you're putting themes on it afterwards, it has to come. It has its own drama. Oh, look! You can, you know, there there are plays about physics, or just mm-hmm. as there are plays about economics, and when they're very much just simply about that and talking about it and explaining mm-hmm. it, I think it's very boring theatre. Yeah. Or very boring performance. And one of the things, for instance, that I love about both music and dance mm-hmm. is that they can extract or abstracize the ideas in those other forms. Mm-hmm. And communicate to us right. uh, in a profound way about mm. those things, even though necessarily directly talking about it. Sure, yeah, it's it, it's somehow it's less illuminating when it's on the nose like that. Yeah, yeah. it's not illuminating at all. Mm. It just te- 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 you know it tells you what you know. Are you? Excuse me for not knowing all of your artistic activity. No, are no. you also a pl- Are you also no. writing plays? No. And so you're, but you're you're directing in some way, or artistic directing, and yeah. yeah. So what it means to be an artistic director in my context is yes. not typically that I'm making the work. I'm mm-hmm. not making the work. My job is much more akin to a visual art curator. Yes. Uh, where I am helping choose uh, artists mm-hmm. or choose projects 
uh, and enabling and figuring out how to let those artists make the work in the mm -hmm. in, in the best way possible yes. and then trying to figure out how to put that work together with audiences in a way that's both impactful and successful mm. but I'm not making the shows why don't you like to make the shows? I'd love to make the shows. I wish I could be an artist. Well, you, I, it sounds like you have the skills, but we decide where we are strength, where we're strongest. Yes. I mean, I always wanted to be a, a, a theatre director, and yeah. uh, you know, one of the funny things about the jo these jobs that I've had since I was uh, twenty-five, yeah, is that they're really they're very creative and, yes. and I'm incredibly lucky I get mm -hmm. to sit in a rehearsal room often mm -hmm. or in a in a meeting with a whole bunch of artists mm -hmm. kind of brainstorming and thinking about ideas for what they're going to do and mm -hmm. how they're going to realize it and what it's going to look like um, which is an incredibly privileged position yeah. and by virtue uh, hopefully of me having not being a total knucklehead mm -hmm. uh, which is you know optimistic I think if you were to talk to many people who think I'm a total knucklehead mm -hmm. but hopefully by virtue of that I can sit in a, and and frankly by virtue of the fact that I've been in a position mm -hmm. of being a curator and being a festival mm -hmm. director and mm -hmm. so on I'm empowered to have that conversation creative conversations with artists mm -hmm. thoughtful conversations about how the work is going to speak to an audience how we're going to situate it, where it's going to happen, mm -hmm. why it's important that that piece happens now. And that's when my job is unbelievably fun because mm -hmm. you get to be a creative participant and mm -hmm. a creative agent in the work. Mm -hmm. And it's very, it's a wonderful job. And I've, had an, I've been in that room. Mm -hmm. I haven't been sitting behind a desk, you know, with my head simply in spreadsheets. So mm -hmm. I guess I've had enough creative agency to not, feel the absolute imperative to be an artist. Yes, well, it seems like also from what I know, from being in those rooms and from, I mean, I see being a producer or being an editor, these are like, I call them the invisible arts. So I mm -hmm. know very much the artists. Mm -hmm. You are, and not necessarily guiding, but you are, yeah. the questions you're asking or when you're saying where it's going to take place, that staging, you know, sure. these are actually, this is sure, actually sure. how we receive it. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't, you know. It's it's very it's I always love to the, hear the humility, but in fact, it is part of it. It's <laughs> I mean, it's part of it, and yeah. and you know, a colleague of mine I remember once said, "On a good day, I'm a curator. Mm -hmm. On a normal day, I'm a programmer, and on a bad day, I'm a booker." Ah, yeah. You know, so on one day it's just a very mechanical financial transaction. Mm -hmm. On one day it's somewhere in between, and on the great days, you're really curator thinking curatorially, yeah, thinking creatively about context, mm -hmm. about connectivity, about how w different works sit next to each other and, and what the kind of dialogue they can have mm -hmm. uh, looks like and, and how it sounds and how it feels. Mm -hmm. um, and it's wonderful when I, you know, you can really feel it when you sit in front of a festival program or a mm -hmm. festival book or a, th or a theatre season mm -hmm. or a whatever, a program, and you look at it and you see you can, f it, when they're really thoughtfully put together like that, mm -hmm. you can smell it, you can see it, you can feel it it's wonderful yes it's really exciting um, and the festivals and programs where it's just sort of been like a shopping expedition a checkbook checkbook programming right because uh, there's dialogues then and the arrangements and exactly, everything yeah exactly when mm -hmm. it's done well there's a kind of internal conversation that's happening mm -hmm. 
that should hopefully mm-hmm. and this is always the dream of every festival director mm-hmm. of course is that that encourages an audience member to go on a kind of journey through a program mm-hmm. not simply an individual performance well what's interesting that though too is that it's just you know you you don't get to speak to everyone who attends a festival or performance but you know they're they're artists maybe or maybe they're people who you know have an inkling or whatever they have not they've not a chance to explore it but there's all these these ripples they take that home they mm. may do things with it mm-hmm. so no it's it's uh, one of the the challenging things about the arts and about trying to constantly articulate mm-hmm. the necessity and the criticality yes. of the arts is again coming back to this uh, need to that we have today to quantify mm-hmm. the outcomes of everything. And yeah. so many of the outcomes of the arts, mm-hmm. not just not just for directly for the audiences mm-hmm. who've experienced something, but for the society at large, so many of those outcomes are not simplistically quantifiable. Mm-hmm. And the event horizon on which we look for impact mm-hmm. is far too short in the yes. case of many artworks, I think, or in many, in many of the systems of measurement. You know, we need to be thinking about measurement systems that track ideas and concepts that become kind of, that, that begin as a very subterranean, idiosyncratic, weirdo kind of idea, and then over a 20-year period become dominant and, and, and big, and indeed start to become subverted in themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, the, the, the way we normally expect something to sort of develop or demonstrate mm-hmm. concrete outcomes in two to three years mm-hmm. just doesn't work a lot of the time when we're yeah. talking about the arts. And it's really tough mm-hmm. because you want, it to, you want to feel productive and you want to feel that impact. And it's mm-hmm. very rewarding and very satisfying mm-hmm. for us to feel that, you know. But it actually doesn't work. Well, I, th- I mean, to me, it just seems, I think that most people working in the arts, that it's, it's quite evident. And then it's evident for most people who, it, I don't know that we can live without them. I just think we're storytelling creatures. And when so many people have, I mean, not so many people don't have jobs that they enjoy, if they have jobs. So through the arts, they're able to live other lives or lives of intensity. They can dream. So I don't even understand. I think it is a basic human right. And it occurred to me when you mentioned the the three wing or three branches of the Ana- the NASA's uh, Culture Center mm. Foundation. What is the proper yeah, name? Yeah. <laughs> One is health programs, and I think these are other yep. health programs. Yeah, sure. That's yes. another way of looking at it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, certainly, in a holistic sense. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, one of the fantastic, exciting things about or one of the things I'm really excited about mm-hmm. bringing and doing at, in this job, mm-hmm. and again, I've only been in the job for three months, Yes. <laughs> um, but is the opportunity to really pull and operate kind of, or to not even, I'm not the one operating them, but to, 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 to facilitate mm-hmm. the operation of policy levers next to arts levers next to shows next to mm-hmm. cultural and education and health outcome you know mm-hmm. a whole bunch of different kind of cross-pollinating ideas mm-hmm. um uh which you know when i as you know i loved 
running PS122. It was a giant joy and privilege. But at a certain point, you know, one gets a little exhausted Mm -hmm. by the kind of rhythm of producing work after work after work mm-hmm. and, and, and that metronome of doing right. that. Uh, can, and, and, you know, it's... And, and so being able to kind of really think in a much more cross-disciplinary way, mm-hmm. a, a much more, not cross-disciplinary, interdisciplinary way yes, is really exciting. Well, that was one really lovely, and we should, the conversation is so lovely, but one thing I, through my... Uh, a little bit of collaboration but conversations and with um, artists in Greece or just general public mm-hmm. was there it did seem to be um, a, very, a wide openness to interdis- interdisciplinary studies or maybe it's there I'd like to talk about education systems I, I compare the education system in Greece between uh, uh, that in America I think that there's still a more emphasis on classics and of things course. like that yeah, yeah. I mean, just like something they can draw upon yeah I, yes <laughs> Yes, that is true. I mean, okay. it's it's very it's black and white, and yeah. there's no question about it. Uh, uh, it's a, it's an education or a cultural system, not an art system, but a yes. cultural system that values that history. Yes, immensely, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, obviously, you know, for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. but um, and one that we don't value in the same way here. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we you know, the kinds of things that the US has achieved over the last couple of hundred years are also things that, you know, Greek has not, Greece has not succeeded in the Sometimes same way. Sometimes being too wedded to history can... Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't want to say this is right and this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know that, you know, the, the challenges that Greek face, the challenges that Greece faces mm-hmm. economically, culturally, are simply a product of being too focused on history. I think there's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other things as well. Yes. Um, but uh, I think your point about Athens is bang on. Mm. You know, I think particularly, and you look, my experience of Athens is entirely post 2008. Yes. So, you know, Greece is one of the sort of poster childs of the the economic crisis and the financial crisis, along with Iceland and Italy and, and Ireland to some extent. And, you know, as an example of, you know, at, at how badly wrong it can go. And, and only now am I starting to hear people really talk about, in Greece anyway, talk about a post-crisis environment. Mm-hmm. Until even last year, I would, you know, if you said the word post, if you said post-crisis, mm-hmm an Athenian they would often you know tell you to shut the fuck up and you know we're still in the crisis mm-hmm. we're still there and you think shit it's 10 years later um, or less since the, it really less since the wheels really fell off in Greece but less since it was tri- 10 years since it was triggered here mm-hmm. so I think the interdisciplinarity of Athens was by necessity you know, mm-hmm. so it was absolutely in, in a dialogue and in a res- and, and, and partly as a response to the kind of economic crisis and all of the cultural things that that threw up into into the air and into question. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and so the dialogues that you saw happen in some of these kind of artist anarchist squatted buildings where there mm-hmm. were shows happening and debates and conceptual architecture and, mm-hmm. you know, physicists and a panel with environmentalists with choreographers and, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of wonderful kind of cross-disciplinary thinking was something that, you know, Athens was... that made Athens probably one of the top two or three most interesting kind of cultural cities to be around the last mm-hmm. five or six years mm-hmm. and still is, you know. Mm-hmm. It's still uh, a place where... People are, there isn't a, you know, a subsidy system yeah. or a system of production houses or non-profit museums or, uh, you know, many foundations mm-hmm. or individuals who are there to support and subsidise and nurture and nourish mm-hmm. the arts sector. So... If you are going to do something, if you're going to try and become an artist or live like an art, live as an artist in in Greece, by mm-hmm. God, you better know what you're doing, mm-hmm. and you better you better you've got to have that fire in the belly. There's no fucking around. Well, I don't want to make an argument for the. I mean, the romantic starving artist, or sure. you know, like, but, and yet, yeah, then you really have a re- you really must do it. Exactly. Look, yeah, there's a truth, sadly, in uh, often that sort of, you know, there's, a, I don't know if it's a maxim or if it qualifies really as a maxim, but that, you know, bad economics makes for great art. Yeah. Right. And I, I don't know that that's true, but certainly good economies mm-hmm. do not result in more good art. Yes. Um, and I'm not for, I don't subscribe to the romantic, impoverished mm-hmm. kind of artist in the garret starving to death. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's necessary. Uh, I don't think that's. I don't think that makes good work. But I think the absence of or the the, 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 the there's something uh, there's some element sometimes of rigor that mm. comes from really needing to know that this is the thing that you must make. Mm. It's not something that you're kind of making because you said in your funding application you know you were going to do three shows and really you had two great shows in you Mm -hmm. but you said you'd make a third so here you are making the third and it's Mm -hmm. a kind of half-baked idea that isn't executed very well Mm -hmm. um if it's work that you're really that you know where you've really got to really rigorously think about the consequence of every single thing that happens on stage and why you're doing it and why it's there Mm -hmm. You can tell it, and mm. and there is something, you know. There's something also then, in in and you saw it here in New York for mm. a very long time. There's something funky and raw and and mm. kind of exciting and visceral about mm. work that's made out of, you know, rubber bands and string, uh, mm. and that idea of people kind of just knowing that what they're what they're doing with their bodies and mm. what they're doing. With the very minimal resources around them, can often be part, can actually become part of the form, and we saw that happen in New York, mm-hmm. where that the, the the causal relationships of everything happening on stage were very visible to audiences, and that was, mm-hmm. 
you know, whether it was the technology being operated, the lighting board and the sound board being operated on stage, mm-hmm. the sort of, uh, you know, with a company like Radio Hall or, you know, Elevator Repair Service putting their sound operator on the stage, making them a visible part of the piece, mm-hmm. um, making kind of jokes out of the use of Foley mm-hmm. sound effects that mm-hmm. were very transparent. Or the Worcester Group really working, the way they made technology visible and apparent on, in their work. All of these things came out of, uh, you know, a necessity that in mm-hmm. that, that 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 was where they began um, right. in terms of a relationship to to, to stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I did no, no. I think it's very interesting, and it comes to a question too. I, I think that people are really. This is one of the reasons why people like say, we love the like old master paintings, but actually really drawn to the drawings. Mm-hmm. It's like really like to see how it's made. We are like attracted to see the sure, little, sure, sure. The, the mechanics. Little digging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We like absolutely. We, like, we want to actually be artists. Yeah. I think you know. That so it's be, like yeah. I'm in there. I actually we like we like to be in rehearsal space. They yeah, like yeah. to have that experience. No, sure. Uh, um, yeah, I think people in people love being uh, in a. Yeah, it's people. We love being empowered. We love we love being feeling like we are creative agents within mm-hmm. a work and. You know, great work, frankly, gives the moment of creation mm-hmm. back to its audience. Mm-hmm. Only we could we could we could find the way, the way to do that with with all works. But I think that's very true. Yes. Well, um, thank you so much. I should have a closing question, but I think we we we've discussed so many things, but. Um, I guess looking towards the future, and we've talked about what what are the you know the core principles of Hellenic culture that we should not forget as we're going into this. We're already well far into this digital age with automation and everything, and it's changing how we I don't interact with each other and our imaginations. What are the importance of the arts and Hellenic culture? Look, I think the criticality of the arts. Mm-hmm in larger dialogues, mm-hmm. in political conversation, in social dialogues, in economic dialogues, the criticality of creativity mm-hmm. and the arts in those, mm-hmm. in scientific endeavour and so on, and the relationship to them and the interrelationship of all of them, mm-hmm. I think is really important. I think democracy, I mean, mm-hmm. we can underweight it mm-hmm. and we can sort of, it's very, it's a bit facile to kind mm-hmm. of just describe that to the Greeks, particularly when, you know, it wasn't a very democratic culture at all uh, mm. in Athens, but nonetheless, um, I think uh, uh, it's simplistic, but I'll let it stand. Mm-hmm. I think a way of learning and being in dialogue. Mm-hmm. And that notion of learning through a Socratic kind of dialogue, yes. through a series of questions, you know, interrogating everything, mm-hmm. interrogating what we know, mm-hmm. I think that's really important as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so many archetypes of human behaviour and, and events that I think we can look at, you know, other than falling in love with your mother and killing your father, that yeah. um, that that are worth understanding as metaphors or proxies Mm -hmm. for contemporary ideas and issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think 
in a way, the most important thing is not to pull out each one of those, but rather to create the, the capacity for critical thought to do that for ourselves. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a very beautiful uh, note to, to end on. We need, we need to reflect more on these uh, important contributions of Greek culture. Um, thank you so much, uh, Vallejo Vatner, um, for, for sharing these insights and for all the work that you are doing with uh, Onassis uh, USA and the Onassis Cultural Center Athens, Onassis Segi. Thank you for adding your voice to the creative process. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate interviews producer on this podcast was Chase Van Langen. Assignment editor is Sorella Lark. And Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Andolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. Has this interview sparked your creative process? If so, you can submit your creative works to submissions at creativeprocess.info for an opportunity to be included in the projection elements of our exhibition traveling to leading universities or published on our website, www.creativeprocess.info. Want to get involved in exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at creativeprocess.info. Thank you for listening.